Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, so last week we, we talked, we started talking about um, who we are, our reborn identity. We saw in John 3, verses 1 through 7, that Jesus was, was saying that you have to be born, not just by water, but by the Spirit, that you have to be reborn, that, that you can't see heaven unless you are reborn by the Spirit. And so we started talking about, about what it is to have a reborn identity, because there's an identity that comes with the new who you are. And so last week we talked about our identity is that we are privileged. We are privileged because of the work that Jesus Christ did to be in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, we have many privileges of being in Christ Jesus, which are, you know, just to name a few, that we, we walk in victory. Because we are in Christ Jesus, we are loved. And, and we, we just talked about all those things. If you, if you didn't catch last week's sermon... I would recommend that you go to one of our multiple platforms and do that. YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, they're, they're listed on all of those. And so I would recommend you go and, and watch that series. This series is intended for one purpose. Well, really two, because everything is intended to glorify God, but ultimately to build confidence in you that God has considered you, God loves you, and he has made you his own. And so that's my hope today is to encourage you. And today we're going to talk about, out of the same set of passages that we discussed last week, out of 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to talk about how we are chosen. Last week we were privileged, we still are privileged, this week we are chosen. And so I want to talk to you about that. And if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2 and 3, I'm going to be teaching specifically from verses 9 and 10 today. And so when I was a young man, let me talk to you about being chosen. When I was a young man, I was, when I say young, I mean 10, 11, 12, 13-ish, somewhere around in there, I, st I took an interest in baseball. The problem is, I was no good at baseball. And so, what would happen is, this, this is what would happen. You'd go to the ball field during recess, and all the kids that wanted to play baseball lined up on the fence. The two most athletic guys would come out, and they would be the team captains for whatever reason. Seemed biased to me, but whatever. Why couldn't us skinny, runny kids do it? But the, the best athletes got to be the captains, and the captains separated themselves. And then they started picking. They said, I want Joe, and I want Henry, and I want Robert. And they would pick and pick and pick, and they would choose one right after another who they want on their team, presumably based on um, their athletic ability or their popularity. Problem is, I didn't have either of those things. I wasn't popular, nor did I have any athletic ability. I was 165 pounds soaking wet the day I graduated high school, which means when I was 10, I probably weighed 3 pounds. I don't know. Um, and so I had no athletic ability, and so there I would sit. And it would happen every time, and I knew it was going to happen. But they would pick this guy, and then this guy, and then this guy, and then this guy. The whole time, I wouldn't even have the ability or the desire or the want to to look up off the ground. I'd just stand there kind of with my hands in my pockets or my hands down by my sides, and I'd just kick rocks 
on the field because I knew it, it didn't matter who they chose before me. I was ultimately getting chose last. And so because I knew I'd be getting chose last, I, I enjoyed baseball, but I didn't enjoy the process of getting to play baseball because even when I got selected for a team, very rarely did I get to do anything other than just sit on the bench. The question is, why is that? Why, why was I chosen last? I was chosen last because I had the least to offer. But can I tell you, it's the whole reason I bring this up, that you were chosen for the same reason. Because you have the least to offer. I'm going to read you a set of verses that are very familiar to you, or probably very familiar to you. They're 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 26 through 30. It says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world, and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may, might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? God chose. God chose. God chose. Used three or four times in this text that I just read you. But he didn't choose the strong, he didn't choose the good-looking, he didn't choose the athletic, he didn't choose the, the professional, he didn't choose the most intellectual, he didn't choose any of these things. Who did he choose? He chose the person that had the least to offer. Why? So that ultimately he could get the glory, so that none of us could boast about our own ability. And so we are chosen. When God could have chosen, I need you to get this intro, if you don't get anything else I hear today, I say today. God chose us when he could have literally chosen anything else besides us. In fact, we deserved because of our sinful nature that anything else be chosen beside us. But God chose us. Us. Imagine such a thing. A God capable of creating anything. A God capable of recreating anything. Chose us. Chose you. Determined to set his love on us. Determined to set his love on you. He chose you to lift you up. He chose you to pour out his love. He chose you to give wisdom to. He chose you to sacrifice his son for. He chose you, he chose us. He chose all of us that are willing to come to Christ Jesus in faith. And I don't know about you, but that brings me a great deal of comfort. I told you I have one purpose through this whole series, and that is to encourage you to let you know that you are enough because God said that you are enough. According to your new reborn identity, you are everything God intends for you to be and have the ability to be everything that God intends for you to be. You just have to put your trust in one fact, that God chose you, and in so doing, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die for us. That's so good. And knowing that God chose us, I want to talk about 
the text that we're teaching from today. In verses 6 through 8 of 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. We learned last week that that precious cornerstone is Jesus. That perfect cornerstone is Jesus. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. And so he's saying, Peter's saying, essentially, he's saying, listen, so in regard to what we talked about last week, I, God set a cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. And for those that put his faith in, their faith in Christ Jesus, they shall be built into, according to what we learned last week, the spiritual house, the unshakable spiritual house. But those that reject him, according to verse 8, that stone will become a stumbling block and a rock of offense. Nothing is more offensive to someone unwilling to hear it than the gospel message of Jesus. I think all of us could, could agree to that. It says, For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. And so he says, Some people are going to accept the rock. That's us. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've accepted the rock. The rest of them, they've appointed themselves to doom. What does that mean? Death and destruction. But what's awesome is in verse 9, he starts with, but you are a chosen race. And so he says, it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what stumbling they're doing. It doesn't matter what offense that they've taken. You as a Christian shouldn't be that way. You've accepted the solid rock that is Christ Jesus and placed your faith there, therefore establishing yourself as part of the spiritual house. And so you shouldn't be wavering. You shouldn't be stumbling. You shouldn't be offended by the gospel. You have a specific purpose a specific reason a specific privilege you have been chosen because you are christian you because you are a chosen race because god chose to send his son jesus christ to die for you because he sent his son jesus christ to die for us just know that I'm, I'm, i know i'm saying you specifically a lot because i want you to know that it is you i want you to take yourself which at this time should be pretty easy out of the congregational setting and i want you to personalize the fact that you are privileged you are chosen You are a Christian, and you are different. And because you are chosen, you shouldn't have a stumbling or an offense. And so today I want to talk to you about what you're chosen to be. As a chosen race, what has God chosen you to be? 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. That's so good. You are chosen. I've got two pretty simple points to make today. And the first one is this. 
He chose us as his royal priesthood, according to the first part of 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He chose us as a royal priesthood. We are royalty because we belong to him as part of his household. Listen to me. God has invited you into his home. He has determined to make you part of his house so that you belong to him. I love this in Isaiah 43.1. He says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, for not fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Listen to these three words, and I want you to personalize them. I want you to sit on them. I want you to, I want you to meditate on them, because these three words say, you are mine. Jesus says, you, or God says through Isaiah, you are mine. He bought you. You belong to him. He has called you to himself, and he has called you by name. You are mine. He has called you by name. So as you're sitting in your living room today, I want you to remember Jeff Bodine, Pat Bodine. He called you by name. Jeremiah Weiser, he called you by name. Samantha Norman, he called you by name. I could go on and on and on with every person in this sanctuary. Stephanie Cox, he called you by name. Mike Long, he called you by name. If you have declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and done so in faith, believing that God raised him from the dead, you have been called by name. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited about that. <laughs> I about talked myself out of breath. I'm only five, ten minutes into this thing. But I want you to know that you are called by name. Miss Jeannie Tucker, he sees you and he loves you. He has redeemed you. He has called you. And according to this text, you are mine. Mm. Because he has declared that we are his, because he knows us by name, we are joint heirs with Christ. He has called us into his royal household. Romans 8, 17, he says, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Listen to me. You are royalty, adopted into a royal household, chosen to be adopted into a royal household. You know the incredible cool thing about adopted kids? Is adopted kids get chosen. Kids that are born into a family aren't chosen. You get the kids you got. God knew exactly what he was getting when he determined that you are what he wanted. And for that reason, for that reason, we are royalty because we belong to him. We are priests because he has given us access to him. Remember, I want you to remember real quick that according to Galatians 2.8, Peter is the apostle to the Jews. He's not an apostle to Gentiles, which means that he's speaking to the Jewish people, which is why he, he's talking a lot here about the Old Testament and how the stuff was done back in the day. And so he, we must look at this. If he's, a, if he's a, an apostle to the Jews, then we have to look at 
this text through the lens of a Jew. And so when he says you were a, a royal priesthood, that you were a priest, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that meant to the Old Testament Jew. It means prior to Christ's sacrifice, prior to the veil being torn away, only the priest had opportunity to be in the presence of God. Only the priest could stand in the holy place. In the Old Testament, God isolated himself to the holy place. And when I say that, I mean his glory was isolated to the holy place. And you had to be of a special class of people, a special lineage of people to stand in that holy place. And if God was going to bestow his spirit on someone, he would do it and that his spirit would fall on them for the appointed time that God needed them to be anointed. Let me, let me explain what I'm talking about. In 1 Samuel 10.10, we see this, that the Holy Spirit was only available to the people that God specifically chose for a purpose. He says, when they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him. This is Samuel. And the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he prophesied among them. So the Spirit of God came upon him, which means the Spirit of God fell on him for a purpose, to prophesy. We see this same thing when the Spirit fell on Othniel to judge Israel in Judges 3.10. We see this same thing on Bezalel to accomplish a special assignment of building the tabernacle, the wilderness tabernacle and the furniture therein in Exodus 31.1-3. The Spirit falls, the person accomplishes under the power of the Holy Spirit while they have legitimate, intimate access to God. And then the Spirit departs until the next time it needs to fall on that person. Praise God that we don't live in Old Testament Jewish times, that we aren't Old Testament Jews. Could you imagine? I used to, I used to, I used to get frustrated when I'd read the Old Testament. I'd be all, man, how the Jews not figure this out? You see the cycle of sin, and then they would fall and they'd be destroyed. And then they'd call out and God would save them and they would get comfortable and then they would fall and this cycle happened over and over and over again. And I would think, how could they be so stupid? Can they not see their own history? Can they not, can they not know what's about to happen to them? If they're in this phase, know that this phase is next. And then it dawned on me some probably 10 years ago that they didn't have the Spirit of God. The only thing that they had was the law. They didn't have a convicting spirit in them to tell them what was right, what was wrong. It's the reason why they needed to know the law. But did you know that you have the Spirit of God so that you might have the access that they didn't have to God? Why? Because He chose you as a priest to have access to Himself. Whew, man, that's good. God chose you to place His Spirit into so that where the Jew where only a specific set of priestly Jews could stand in the presence of God, could stand in the temple of God, you are and have been chosen to be the temple of God. I feel like I should stop and just give you a moment to, to say, what, is, what does that mean? 
What responsibility is there in that? That the Holy Spirit of God, the powerful, magnificent, beautiful, everywhere, knowledgeable, superior in wisdom and might, God set his spirit in you, set his spirit in us. And he did it for a purpose. He did it to empower us. And uh, he did it for several reasons. I'm going to give you the four primary reasons why he did it to empower us. He did it to empower us to Christ's likeness. In Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Which means the Spirit sets you free from sin and death so that you might pursue Christ's likeness. He empowers you to service. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and all in Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. In Acts 4.8 we see Paul say this, or correction, Peter say this. Let me, let me get it real quick. Acts 4.8 then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people at Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. And then amazingly, he quotes from the Old Testament what we're talking about. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And so he empowered Peter to service. You remember what Peter was like before the Spirit of God came into Peter? He was cowardly, brash. Uh, I don't know how you're cowardly and brash at the same time, but Peter managed to get it done. He was arrogant, he was a hothead, lacked self-control, Didn't his love wasn't right, his understanding certainly wasn't right, because he wasn't able to show or grow in the fruits of the Spirit because he didn't have the Spirit in him. But now, being empowered to service, he has the boldness to do exactly all of those things. He lives there, the Holy Spirit lives in us to empower us to teach empowers to teach and lead us. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to, correction, Acts chapter 16, I'm going to read you an incredible set of verses. 6 through 10 reads like this. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they'd already been told by the Holy Spirit, no, don't go to Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them there. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Trous. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why is the Holy Spirit inside of you? To teach you about the way that you should go 
and to lead you about how to get there. It's time the people of God started listening to the voice of God that God has placed in them, that God has placed in us. God wants to speak to you. People say, I, don't, I can't hear from God. You're not listening. Or you're not a Christian. Because the Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, has been placed in you. And trust me, God wants to lead, guide, direct, and love you. He wants to show you where you should go that you might minister to other people. He wants to lead you so that you might know how to lead your family. On and on and on and on again, He has empowered you to be led by the Holy Spirit. He has placed His Spirit inside of you. He has chosen you to be the temple of His Holy Spirit. But not only all of those things, He came and lives in you to convict you. John 16, 18 says that He came... He's, he's, he's come to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Sin so that we can be saved, righteousness so that we can stay right with God, and ultimately for judgment so that we keep our eyes on our eternal hope. The Spirit of God has been given to you. And because He lives in us, and because Christ Jesus died for us, suffered for us, was tempted by every imaginable thing, we have this promise that we have access to Him. Hebrews 4.16 Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Because He lives inside of us, because Jesus Christ died, suffered, was tempted in every way, sent His Holy Spirit to us, we have the confidence to know that we have access to Him. We are a priesthood because He has dedica has, has dedicated us for a sacred purpose. Our sacred purpose is threefold. Grow in Christ, glorify God, bear fruit. I don't, I, I, I've tried and tried and tried to simplify it greater than that, but there's just really no other way to do it. Your greater purpose, your sacred purpose, is to grow in Christ, glorify God, and bear fruit, which is only possible when we abide in Christ. John 14, 5 and 8. I'd recommend you read that whole section, but just verses 5 and 8, let me isolate them. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus talking about us. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. What is your responsibility? To bear fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this. What glorifies God? Bearing fruit. That you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What is being a disciple? To grow in Christ's likeness. And so we see just in these two verses that we have three primary responsibilities according to our sacred purpose. Grow in Christ's likeness, glorify God, bear fruit which means to bring others into relationship with Him, to work for Him, worship Him alone, and give ourselves completely to Him. Which is the reason why in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul wrote this, Whether then you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, 
do all for the glory of God. We need to start learning to live according to who we've been chosen to be, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, destined, chosen for a sacred purpose. And, and I go back to the very beginning at the illustration. God could have chosen anything. He could have anyone besides us. We serve a God that could have destroyed us and created something completely different that we can't even imagine that he might be glorified, but he didn't. He determined to love us, to choose us, to choose you. My second point today is he chose us as his holy nation and his possession. Second part of 9 and verse 10 says this, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Ain't that good? Once you were nobody, but now you're the most significant somebody. Not because of anything that you did, but because of what God did for you. And had not you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God gave us mercy, which by definition means we didn't deserve it. He saw our dire need, and because of his compassion for us, reached out in the form of grace to save us, to extend that mercy to us. So we are chosen. He chose us as his holy nation and his possession. We have been credited his righteousness because we have no righteousness of our own. I want you to do me a favor. At some point during this week, I want you to go to chapter 3 of Romans. I'm not going to go there. Um, but I want you to read the entire chapter 3 of Romans and, and just really absorb it. Spend time in it. Look at it. And you're going to find one thing. You're going to find that you were absolutely depraved prior to Christ Jesus. There is nothing good in you. There's nothing good in you. There's nothing good that you've ever done. There's nothing good that you've ever said. There's nothing good that you've ever thought. But, but God sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for you while you were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still in that state. And that's exactly what he did. He came to bestow righteousness on us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But by his doing, those don't, don't get past those words, by his doing, which automatically means not by our doing, we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So he gave us, he moved us from absolutely depraved and unworthy and in choosing us, redeemed us, made us righteous, and sanctified us. Why? Because he chose you. Because he loves you. Because he knows you by name. And because he wants to spend eternity with you. You are chosen. Is anybody feeling encouraged today? 
I know I am. We're his possession and that he finds value in us. Last week I talked about value for a short time and it seemed to have caught some people's attention. I essentially said that the market establishes the value of a thing. Whatever someone is willing to pay for it is what that item is worth. If the market set diamonds at $2, a diamond would only sell for $2. But since the market sets the value and what people are willing to pay for it determines the value of a thing and God gave you the most precious thing, then he must consider you of precious value. But you know, there's another way to determine value. Not just by the market price, but by who or what the thing being valued belongs to. Let me explain what I mean. So there's a story, and it's it's a true story. There's a woman and a man. They're on their anniversary, and as they typically do, they were in California going through some antique shops, and as they typically do, he wanted to buy his wife a special gift for their anniversary. They didn't have a lot of money, but so they walk into this antique store, and she, she sets her eyes on an amber necklace. Now, amber is literally just hardened resin. It's not expensive. You can pick it up for almost nothing. But he picks up this amber necklace, and it's like $25, and she fell in love with it, and she, he bought it for her. They took it home, and as, as she's kind of running it through her hands at home, she looks at it, and she realizes that it, it's not strung, that there's actually silver um, that the, the beads are strung by. And then she looks at the clasp, and the clasp looks very classy. And she starts to think, maybe this has got some value. And so she takes it to the store or to a jeweler and asks the jeweler to appraise it. The jeweler picks it up, rolls it around in his hand, looks at it through his little monocular for a second, and doesn't tell her what it's worth, but offers her $1,000 for an item she paid $25 for. She said, it means too much to me. It's, I appreciate it. I'm not going to sell it. She leaves. She tells her husband. Her husband said, well, I'm going to New York in a couple of days for some, on a business trip. Why don't I take it, go to some of the high-end jeweler shops there, let them look at it. So he does exactly that. He takes it to a high-end jeweler. The jeweler looks at it, turns around in his hand, puts the binocular to it, and offers him $5,000. He said, I only paid $25 for it. He goes, and it's probably only worth $25 had it not been owned by someone important. He said, here, I want you to look at this. He got the binocular out and real small, so small you couldn't read it hardly with the naked eye. It said, to Josephine, from your beloved Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Bonaparte bought that amber necklace for his second wife. And not because of what it was worth, was it worth something, but because of who it belonged to. And let me tell you, God paid a precious price for you, as we talked about last week, so that gives you value. But I want you to understand, I, I need you to understand, that you have an intrinsic value simply because of the fact that you've been chosen, because of who you belong to. He is determined to possess us, and in possessing us, we have value. You have value. Don't sell yourself short for the value that God's placed on you. 
we are his possession and that he intends to keep us for himself. I'm going to read you, I'm not going to read you, I'm just going to quote you a verse. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's so, that's the coolest thing ever, I think. But this is how the Bible starts out, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because let me tell you, if you can believe this, you can believe anything. If you can believe that God, out of nothing, simply by speaking it into existence, determined to establish all things and did, by the sound of his voice, that everything else becomes possible. If God made all things, can he not also keep all things? God doesn't, doesn't Christ, according to Colossians 1.17, hold all things together he intends to keep you if he created the universe and everything in it including you and the bible says that through christ jesus all things hold together don't you think he's powerful enough to keep you to having chosen you to ensure that no one takes you from him it's the reason why in romans 8 35 38 and 39 I'm not going to go read those. We talked about them last week. But it says no weapon of man, no weapon of Satan, no danger in nature can snatch you from the hand of God. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if he's powerful enough, wise enough, strong enough, has the ability enough to do that, then we can place our faith in him. We have the ability and should be able to place our faith in him that he will not only save us through his son, Jesus Christ, but that he wants to and intends to keep us for himself. In Acts 4.24, we read a pretty interesting story around that verse. Acts 4.24, the uh, Peter's coming back, and they had just been persecuted. They had just been told, you're no longer by the, by the spiritually elite. You're not going to proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. We're tired of hearing it. And so they go back to their, they, they're released, they go back to their companions, and this is what their companions praise out to God in Acts 4.24. It says, And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, is it you who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them? Did you catch that? They started by declaring the, how powerful God is. They started by declaring how powerful he is, that he's powerful enough, that he's capable enough to keep them. It is you who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And because he did all of those things, because you did all of those things, we know that you will keep us, that you will ensure that nothing comes against us, that you will watch over us, that you will go before us and behind us, that that we don't have to concern ourselves with what's going on in the world because you chose us. Cast your anxiety on to the side. Cast it into the lap of the God that sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Because let me tell you, he's not going to let you be shaken because you are attached to a spiritual house that is unshakable. That's good right there. Somebody ought to tweet that. 
when the world is determined to come against us, I think the first thing we should do is recognize the power of God that can keep us and the love of God that wants to. We are His possession because He acquired us by giving us mercy, according to this text. Prior to coming to Christ, we were guilty of cosmic rebellion. Jesus Christ died so that we might belong to God, so that we might be acquired, so that we might be bought back from the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in which we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. Mm. He could have rejected us because we rejected him. But he didn't. Instead, he decided to look at our cosmic rebellion and forgive it. He decided that all the sin that we've committed, all the heinous acts that we've committed, all the tra traitorous thoughts that we've had, all the adulterous emotions that we've had, were less significant than his love for us. And in that, sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for us. So that we could say, according to Romans 5, 9, much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10 says, For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Why are we a people of God? We are a people of God for no other reason than he chose us to be his people. This according to his word. And so let me challenge us to acknowledge that you are chosen, to live as though you are chosen, to declare the goodness of God, to grow in Christ's likeness, to bear fruit, to abide in Christ Jesus so that you might be able to do all of those things because you were chosen. That's my prayer for you today. Is that God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, intimately reveal to you how much He loves you and that He chose you to be His people. That He chose you, according to this verse, to be a chosen race. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you, God, that as we discussed last week, we are privileged that you set us into your spiritual house unshakable because Christ is unshakable. And we thank you that you chose us to, to cast your love upon us, to call us by name, to say that you are mine is something that I can't comprehend. That the creator of the universe determined that Jim Cubitt, the skinny kid that used to kick rocks on a baseball field, is worthy 
of having your love and your spirit bestowed, bestowed upon me. It just blows my mind and it just it rips my heart out, God, with conviction for the times that I've not lived according to the way that I should. And so, God, I'm going to start by saying, please forgive me where I've fallen short. God, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. I ask, God, that you bring them to a place of conviction also. But not only to a place of conviction, but, God, to a place of comfort, knowing that they too were chosen, just as this skinny kid was chosen. That you love them, that you've called them by name, that you've given them access to who you are. God, we praise you, we thank you. We thank you for the comfort that your word brings us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.